In improvisational theatre, there's an adage that says make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Speaking with guests and listeners like you, Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here's your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I am delighted to be your host and excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is the 22nd episode of my show, Partner Up with Amy Carroll. If you want to find out more about me or what the show's about, feel free to listen to previous episodes on my website, carolcoaching.com, or the voiceamerica.com business channel. And be sure to download the app. Or you can always check it out on any of your favorite apps for listening to podcasts. If you missed last week's show, my guest was neuroleadership trainer and coach, Dr. Susan Kreider. We explored the concepts of mindful leadership from her book, The Mind to Lead. Suzanne offered tools and techniques to help us eliminate overreacting, how to decrease our fears, and to learn, believe it or not, to learn to enjoy challenging conversations. Check out that episode from January 22nd. Today, my guest is Vicki Lazar. Welcome, Vicki. Hi, Amy. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad you joined me. I want to give the listeners some of your background so they have a, an idea of who they're listening to today. Sure. So Vicki is a performer, a teacher, and a facilitator, and has been passionate about improv and theater for over 20 years. Born and raised in New Jersey in a Hungarian family, and as a shy bookworm of a kid, Vicky's well-meaning fifth grade teacher cast her as Cinderella in the class show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, fifth grade teacher, for that. From then on, Vicky had the acting bug and discovered improv shortly thereafter. Now, Vicky, is it true you were doing improv as of as early as your, the eighth grade? Yeah, exactly. That's that's when I started taking uh, improv classes on top of the acting classes. And what was the name of your improv troupe? Yeah, well, we had a very, very, um, very meaningful name, and we were called Almost a House. <laughs> <laughs> that was just sort of some bizarre name somebody came up with, or yeah, that we. I, I'd love to take credit for it or have some kooky story to explain it. I'm sure it made a lot of sense to us at the time. I think <laughs> I do think that it sort of captures the sort of the stereotype of an improv name that it's wacky it and it tells you what you're going to get. <laughs> Almost something. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> At Rutgers University, Vicky graduated summa cum laude with majors in French literature, classics, minor in mathematics, and Hungarian. Vicky acted, directed, and was president of the College Avenue Players, which was the campus comedic theater group. Vicky worked in Nice, France, as an English teaching assistant, then as a case manager in New York, helping formerly homeless people find jobs. Vicky then returned to Europe to become, or rather to obtain an MA in translation at Queen's University in Belfast. Is, now, that's not where you met your darling husband, is it? No, no, it's not. You had to, ah, you had to come to Geneva for that. I had to come to Geneva to oh, meet a, okay. a, a an Irish person. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, you didn't care for the selection, so you're like, no, I, I've got to go 
go for, forth and find out. Well, I, I loved being in Belfast. Um, and I couldn't finish the MA actually because I got this great job offer in Geneva and had to had to drop it. To- uh-huh. And this is at the philanthropic uh, organization. That yeah, exactly. To work there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now also um, it, uh, the rest of her Vicky's time, I think is safe to say, uh, is taken up with the improv troupe Renegade Saints, which was first created. You were part of this creation back in 2013, correct? Exactly, exactly. So Renegade Saints, tell me the origin of that name. Well, that, so that, that one, I do remember the story because it, you know, it's a good 20 years later. Um, so I, uh, it was a group of us who had been doing improv, but were really keen to perform and and as any group as it's starting out, and this was before the days of Slack, everything was by email. And so we, it was trying to organize weekly practices with like nine different people was was a stress. Um, but because we were all funny people, um, it was uh, the, the emails were a joy for me, at least. And um, we had one member who's Greek and his name is Stelios. And he signed one day, he signed his email, St. Stelios, and he gave the sort of the saint's martyrdom story of the saint that he was named after. And then we all started doing that. And after we'd all shared our saint name stories, then we just- Wait, wait a minute. Did you, did every, did you make up your own backstory? I don't know if people made it up. I mean, some, some, most names have like, there, there is a saint with most names, like saint days. I, I wish I could remember St. Victoria's martyrdom, but I'm sure it was something to do with her purity. Um, <laughs> of course. I'm going to look it up. I wonder if there's a St. Amy. I don't or a, I hope so. Amelia, um, maybe. Yeah, but so, and so we uh, we started calling ourselves St. Vicky or St. Stelios mm. when we signed the emails. And then when it came, so then, you know, we didn't care about a name because we weren't performing yet. But then our first performance was around the corner and we realized we needed to name ourselves something and so it was like, would we be just the saints or what kind of saints? And then the renegade saints came along to take the edge off. We didn't want to seem too holy or, <laughs> or anything. And that's that. And then it stuck. Oh, that's great. And you guys have been working. Have, um, I know since 2015, you've been bringing your improv to, toolkit into the corporate world, helping teams enhance their creativity, communication, their collaboration. Have you been doing that in conjunction with Renegade Saints? Yeah, I think there's the, the, what's been cool with the Saints is it's been very organic. So we started by performing, then our audiences wanted to do improv as well. So we offered drop-ins and classes. And then some people started saying, hey, these improv things that you guys do, I think they might be useful for my team. And that's when we started going into to the corporate world and mm. here in Geneva, also the NGO world. Um, to to help to help teams out, uh, and so I've done a lot of my experience with that is with the Saints, and I've also I've also had some opportunities outside of the Saints too. Okay, and so then I'm thinking back. You and I met in 2016. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, we think it was Vinny's workshop. It might have been there. Might have been a, a, a sighting before Vinny's workshop, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> and so. Um, I have always, uh, since then, so I had admired you from afar. And Aww. so I was very delighted to get to connect with you uh, years ago. And I think one of the things that you have illustrated, and one of the gifts that improv brings people is the idea of community. 
And I know that that's something that's particularly important to you. You want to say more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I, I think, well, community in general is important. Now, in these strange pandemic times, I think people feel that all the more acutely, whether, you know, the lucky ones who have found a way to still feel connected to community in these virtual times and those who are feeling the lack of it. Um, I, I think that people can take community for granted or can sort of, can sort of, uh, those who have it and then those who don't have it know, you know, really feel how important it is. I, I find, um, I think the reason I was drawn to theater and performance and improv in the first place is because it naturally creates a community and really, really quickly because you share such intense, deep experiences. And so, um, I'm the, <laughs> I always get involved in things and then end up being part of the organizational team, I can't help myself. And, uh, and being part of the Renegade Saints has given me a great opportunity and platform. So it's been important for me when we got to start offering those drop-ins and those classes. It's, we love having new people, but we also have a really wonderful core of people who, you know, our regulars who really make it feel like home and then they come to our shows and it feels like seeing all your friends again, which is wonderful. And then some of the some of the other community events that I've been excited to to create or be a part of. We we did um we did an improv camp for a few days up in the up in near Interlaken. We organized an improv festival, bringing in troops from from around Switzerland, which was really cool. Um, one thing that I was a part of, though I didn't organize, there was a refugee cultural festival, and it was really cool to be able to offer some improv there. So I think the arts in general are such a, such a key part to building community. And I, mm -hmm. and I, I really love, I really love that. So like when, when we couldn't do our shows this year because of the pandemic in person, yeah. I was like, I still really want to stay in touch with the community. I, I, you know, I love performing also for the, <laughs> for the adrenaline rush, but, but I wanted to make sure that, you know, we kept sending newsletters that we did some kind of online. It wasn't exactly a show, but just something to, to, to keep that, keep that connection alive. Yeah. Yeah. I've had the joy of participating in a number of those events. The camp up in the mountains was yeah. way fun. And, you know, I can appreciate also what you're saying about missing the performance, though missing that community so much that I crave it now. Yeah. Um, so I'm thankful that you're offering online drop-ins because I'm going to continue to sign up if you keep offering them. Yeah, that makes <laughs> For Wednesday night, way fun. Uh, yeah, well, th these days, I used to have something to do every night of the week, and now I'm totally free. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. And you, um, you and I share this conviction, this, I think that's a good word for it, how important and powerful the, these skills of improv are not only for performance, though um, we're both in a community of, of, of professionals, AIN, Applied Improv Network, mm -hmm. something I've talked about in past shows mm -hmm. um, about bringing these, I, the exercises of improv to the professional world. Though, let me back up and ask you to, you know, make that connection between improv in performance and then in the business world. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. I know that your listeners have been listening to your show for 
22 episodes now, <laughs> but, um, but maybe they haven't, they, they may not know exactly what improv is before we even get into the question of sort right. of business or performance. So improv at its core is the idea of people coming together and making something up together, sort of creating something out of nothing together. Um, usually, so a, a lot of North American audiences will be familiar with whose line is it anyway. That's a that's usually a good way to be like, oh, okay, that's what improv is. And that's a great example of it. And they are amazing. I love all of those performers. Um, so essentially they get some kind of suggestion from the audience. There's often some kind of constraint. So you have to, follow certain rules like each next line of the scene starts with the next letter of the alphabet uh, and then you have to within those constraints create a new scene or a new reality and then some people take that you know in whose line they're doing short scenes some people create entire plays essentially there's a group called ostentatious spelled like jane austen a-u-s-t-e-n-tatious oh, yeah. And, uh, and they come up with, they, they improvise entire Jane Austen novels, which is so amazing and exciting. So there's this whole spectrum of what you can do with improv. But really good improv makes the audience think that it's rehearsed. They think that they must have planned it because how else could they be so on the same page? And I think that's the key that makes people realize that improv can be really powerful and applicable in the business world or in people's personal lives with their families. Because the way we make it look like we're all on the same page is a few key skills. One, we listen really carefully. Two, we're 100% present in the moment. Three, we are there supporting each other and making sure that the other people look good. Yeah. And four, we're willing to take a risk. And we know that if we fail, we fail together, but we'll, we'll be supported in whatever we, whatever we get out there and do. And I think that those, those mindsets, if they can be applied to the business world, to teams working together, can make, them, can make those teams really powerful and really, really fun places to work and, and accomplish a lot together. Mm-hmm. There, here's a great example. I don't know if you know this exercise because people might now, as they're listening, might be wondering, well, what, what does that really, how does that translate precisely? So there's this one exercise, I think it's called um, replay. And so you and I would start a scene and the director would call time after a minute or two, we would have to then replay the scene as closely as possible. Um, and in order for us to be successful, or hold on a second, and our job is to not talk over each other. I think that's one of the oh, constraints. Yeah, it's really important. Right? And that's hard to do if you're making it up on the spot. And if you're not paying attention and going slow enough and watching the other person, uh, and if you're just stuck in your head, then you're going to break the rule. Mm. So the moment you talk over each other, then you have to restart it again and, and do it verbatim as close to possible. So you've got to be paying really close attention from the very beginning. And so when we have, I don't know about you, I've had people do that in the business world and they're gobsmacked at how um, quickly they're, they've lost the focus of the other person because they're, trying to, they're in the head trying to be funny or clever or interesting. So yeah. that's a concrete game. I don't know, have you ever played that one? Yeah, I think that's a great one. I think 
the general, I guess, applied improv can sound kind of strange as well. Um, yeah. But the general rule, the way it works is that we we bring an exercise that maybe we use in the improv world as well, like replay, which we use to have fun and be silly in the improv world. We bring it into the business context, have people play it. They have fun. They enjoy it. And then in the discussion, we say, so were you listening 100% of the time to the partner? Okay, no, because you were in your head. Why? What? I was worried about being funny. I was worried about myself, how I would look. Now, can you imagine how much better this exercise would work if you paid attention to your partner? <laughs> what about your business conversations? Imagine if we all could stop worrying about ourselves and place the attention on our, you know, whoever it is that we're having a conversation with. And then, you know, in these workshops that both Amy and I lead, we, we, it's really the, the participants who end up making those connections to their working lives and, and, you know, through play, which is a really powerful learning tool. That's right. how mammals learn. Um, people can learn about, learn new things about their own communication styles and about how, how they might be able to be present, listen more, support each other, all those things that make improv work. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, the one that's jumping out at me now. So, so is there anything else we should share with listeners about the connection? I'm sure there will be more that okay. more that comes up. I think uh, I think we've I think that we've explained it. Although you and I both suffer from the curse of knowledge as as people who, in this one area. <laughs> in this one area, I, that doesn't mean we're you know know everything about it. It's just that it's hard to know what we what isn't clear to to people who sure. um, who don't do it. But I think I think yeah I think the you know. Improv teaches these skills, leadership, uh, sharing, collaboration, communication. And, and then with Applied Improv, we help people use improv to develop those mindsets in the workplace. So thank you for that summary. So now let's talk um, in more specifics around the concepts and like, let's see if we can come up with examples for maybe even do some demonstrations for listeners sure. on some of these exercises. You said... Uh, when the, as those four qualities, listening, paying attention, um, the last one was taking risks. Mm. Say more about that. Well, I think um, if I may kind of share a personal story uh, to connect it here. You know, I was a really shy kid. As, as Amy said at the beginning, Mrs. Slade, my fifth grade teacher, kind of shoved me on stage to play Cinderella. I would have never been the person to, to, to do that. And through theater and through improv, I have become a lot more confident and a lot more sort of less self-conscious, I would say. And, uh, and I think that uh, taking risks is the only way new things and exciting things happen. But it's really scary to take risks because you can fail, you can look silly. And I think um, when you have a really supportive group like you can have anywhere, but as, as which tends to draw the types of people that improv draws, then take that takes the edge off the, the, the stakes of t- making, of, of taking a risk because either it's that you're all taking the risk together or that you, uh, you know, that even if you, you go, you go out on a limb and it doesn't work out, no one's going to be mad at you. Everyone's going to, you know, admire that you, that you were willing to take that risk. So I think, I think there's a really strong connection between, uh, 
the the safe space, the environment that the team creates, mm-hmm. the willingness to willingness to take risks, and then the amazing results that are possible when when it is safe to take a risk, which is just so joyful. So, how do you get teams to build that safe environment? I think the the at the beginning of any workshop, I think what's really important is to do exercises where everyone is doing the same thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. You don't want to put anyone on the spot and you do, you start, you start small. And then by the end of the workshop, they're improvising scenes out of nowhere. Um, but at the beginning you have them all walk around the room and then stop at the same time. Okay. Not so scary. But what that's building is a sense of team, of being on the same page. Eventually, I stop telling them when to stop and start, and they find a rhythm on their own Mm. and have to be really tuned into each other. And you're just walking around. But again, you don't normally walk around in a business meeting. So it's already sort of um, challenging assumptions. Uh, I think the safe space is also, it's also really important that everyone feels like if they don't want to participate, they don't need to, you know, it's the point of it is for them to have fun and learn. They can push their own boundaries, but it's not, or their own comfort zone. But Mm -hmm. my goal isn't to sort of push them so far out that they're, they panic and shut down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what are um, some other improv games you have people play that really do push that uh, risk taking or that you know having each other's back or making each yeah. other well there's a I think there's a there's a fun game that's a storytelling game called change which may, maybe oh, yes. you know Amy I love uh, it <laughs> which maybe we can play okay. uh, the the idea of change the way it works is that one person is telling a story and the other person says change whenever they feel like it and the person telling the story when they hear change has to change the last word that they've said or the last part of a sentence. Instead of um, instead of explaining why this exercise is powerful, let's do a short demonstration of it okay. and afterwards we can we can talk about it. Cool. So Amy, do you want to tell the story? Um yes, yes, yes. Okay. This, um, this is the story I, would, part. <laughs> I would like to hear <laughs> I would like to hear a story about a kangaroo mm. with a mission. A kangaroo with a mission. Well um about uh, 30 years ago, back in Melbourne, there was this about uh, 30 years ago, back in New Jersey, uh, there was a kangaroo in a the zoo in uh, in Trenton. And um, (laughs) what New York City? What city do I know? I won't say change. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, And uh, this guy, Fred, he was on a mission to, because there, he was a very extroverted kangaroo. Change. He was a very tall kangaroo. Change. He was a very um, not furry kangaroo. <laughs> he was a very <laughs> bald kangaroo. And um, and he was kind of proud of this fact because he knew he was unique. And he um, thought that he could attract people to come to the zoo if they found out about how unique he was as a bald kangaroo. And so um, he used to, um, uh, um, 
he, he would, he, um, he would take a lot of naps to think about Change. how he would uh, write a lot in his journal um, to, to brainstorm ways that he could attract people to the zoo in Trenton. And um, one day a little boy came by and told him that if he learned to play soccer, that uh, that would attract people. And so Fred, um, you know, luckily this little kid left his soccer ball behind, which was really sweet of him. And um, this uh, Fred stole the little boy's soccer ball and hit it. And um, he, Fred um, punched the little boy and said, I'm going to punch you again. If you don't give me your soccer ball. And the little boy's like, he's crying. He's like, okay, take my soccer ball. Um, He said, no, you don't understand. This is a very special soccer ball. Um, um, It's okay. (laughs) I have my soccer ball. The boy thought he was doing a good thing. And so um, Fred trained with the soccer ball every day. And, you know, he had some kind of special maneuvers with his strong little um, feet. And... uh, he he had some, um, it was a little bit tricky because he, it was wintertime and he was slipping on the ice a lot. Um, and though he discovered that he could actually, um, he started doing these dance moves on the ice and that is what attracted people. So it wasn't his baldness at all. It was his ice skating soccer moves that attracted people and they had lots of people come and the zoo um, lived happily ever after. <laughs> Yay! Beautifully done, Ooh. Amy. <laughs> so um, we got a minute or two before break. Why don't you debrief that for listeners? Sure. Well, so how, so I was able to see you cause we're doing this on a zoom, but how maybe share with the listeners, how do you feel telling the story? Um, well, there was a little bit of panic <laughs> and, and I could feel my brain wanting to be funny and entertaining. Mm. And I had, and that I, it gets me in trouble. So I had to just keep staying pre- present to the next thing, the next thing, next thing. Um, yeah. So Did you that, surprise yourself with any of the changes? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I didn't expect to resort to the violence. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it happens. Um, <laughs> there's there's a lot I'd love to touch on, but maybe we can get back to the exercise okay. after the break. Okay, good. So we're going to take a break now. Now, if you want to find out more about Vicki and her improv troupe, you can check it out on their website, renegadesaints.ch. And that's R-E-N-E-G-A-D-E saints.ch. When we come back from break, we're going to hear more from Vicki about how improv can be used to develop flexible leadership, psychological safety, and more. Stay tuned. You're listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members, or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated, or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make your partner look good is a philosophy from improvisational theatre as well as Amy's favorite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers 
to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behavior changes in voice, body language, words, and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Feel free to send an email to amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. You are listening to this show on Voice America Business Channel. My guest is Vicki Lazar, who is a performer, teacher, facilitator, and as I am, passionate about improv. So we've been talking about our shared love of improv and how it can make us happier, smarter, and even sexier human beings. I think we may have to demonstrate that a little more. That's our, in our opinion. <laughs> so um, Vicki, I'm going to turn it back to you to debrief the exercise we just did before the break. Yeah, so before the break, we I kind of put Amy on the spot. She told us a story about a kangaroo who ended up attracting people to his zoo with his amazing ice dance routine, <laughs> sort of involving a soccer ball. Um, and Amy was talking about how she felt. She felt panic. She felt a little bit of uh, a stress to be funny. Uh, did you, at the end, have a sense of accomplishment? Completely. I also felt excitement and um, a, a sense of curiosity. Like, like, like I assumed that there, it, all I have to do is to keep taking the next step and I will eventually achieve the goal of this, you know, to, end, to creating the story. Absolutely. We were, we were talking about this exercise because we were talking about taking risks. And uh, one of the nice things about bringing improv into the business context is that I think it allows people to practice behaviors that are a little bit scary or new in the low stakes situation. So you told an amazing story, but if the story had been not the best story in the universe, it would have been okay. And still the, you know, you learned that even if I say change four times in a row, you're going to have another idea. A lot of, so about half of people are worried that they don't have ideas. The other half of people have too many ideas. Both of them can feel overwhelming. But I think uh, this exercise is especially powerful for those who are a little bit shy, a little bit think that they're not creative or think that they're not interesting. And this exercise can really help everyone realize that they have lots of stories to tell and lots of interesting things. I, In I fact- think- a, Because one of the uh, ways people get in trouble is by doing what what I was saying, how to try to be funny, interesting, or clever. Mm. The irony, because they think that's what they need to do to be successful, and the opposite is exactly what works even better. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And finally, before we move on from this this particular exercise, I was curious, how did you feel about me saying change? Um, I was, it was like a, it was like an exciting challenge Um, and I was ready for it. So it helped me to stay detached from my storyline because frankly, I was pretty sure it was going to happen in Australia. And (laughs) when you surprised me with a change, I'm like, okay, and here's an example. So I took what I knew. Now, when I introduced you, I mentioned you were from New Jersey. Mm. So New Jersey was fresh in my mind, which is why Trenton, you know, that's, that's it. Great. Yeah. State capital. <laughs> um, no, and it was great. And I, and I think, you know, my goal in saying change was not to make you fail. It was to challenge you, to push you just to that point where you would come up with something interesting. I loved that you mentioned New Jersey and I didn't need anything more interesting. And if you had sat there in silence for a minute, trying to think of a more interesting place than Australia, that would have, the story would have stalled. So it was great that you just went with whatever was, was right there. And I think that, um, I don't know. So thinking about how people might apply the learnings from this exercise in the business world, I think it really encapsulates this idea of challenges from other people. If they're done with goodwill can push us to create, to, to come up with ideas that we otherwise never would have. And can you imagine if people felt so comfortable and safe in their workplace that they could push each other in this way, knowing that the whole team looks better, that would be really, really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So um, that's a great example of risk taking and how creativity and um, new ideas can be born. Mm. I'm also um, love how powerful improv, how powerfully improv can be used to build more a greater collaboration, flexible leadership, psychological Mm. safety. Let's talk about some of those. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think people might be aware of collaboration and flexible leadership, but maybe if you could share a little bit about what psychological safety means to you, Amy. Um, For me, psychological safety is that there is a sense of trust and safety um, between myself and the other person that I don't have to protect myself. And, and I think you have some example um, from Google. Would yeah, yeah. Um, I, I shared this study with you. I think a few days ago, um, Google was trying to figure out which of their teams were the mo- what were the characteristics of a really efficient team. There's highest performing teams, and uh, there's there's many articles about it. You can you can research it, uh, listeners, and please do. And they what they found was that the the highest performing teams were not the people with the most education. They weren't the people who had been there the longest. The highest performing teams were the teams with the most psychological safety. What does that mean? The way they measured it was that uh, all members of the team over a particular period of time spoke the same amount. And when they spoke with the members of the team to get sort of more qualitative information, what they found was people were willing to share all of their ideas, even their silliest or stupidest ideas, because they they weren't afraid of being judged, of being shunned, of being shut down by their team members. They knew that they could take that risk and maybe it wouldn't work out, but they personally wouldn't be rejected. And because the teams were so open to ideas and really wanted to hear from everyone, 
they were able to build the best kangaroo stories or the best software, right, together um, because they had this sense of safety. And when everyone feels like their ideas are important and people are welcome to share them and they're invited to share them, that's when teams, apparently, according to Google, are able to perform the best. Wow. Isn't that, and that's such a, a simple measure. Yeah. You know, how much people are willing to talk. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think, unfortunately, just like everywhere else in the world, there are improv groups, I'm sure, that don't have psychological safety. But mm-hmm. because it's kind of there in the in the guiding concepts, our job is to make our partner look good. Another thing we say is, I'm the least important person on stage. I'm there to support you mm-hmm. because you're there supporting me as well. We know that the story will be better with both of our contributions and and but the story is long, right? So sometimes you'll take the lead and I will happily follow you and vice versa. And that's where the flexible leadership comes in as well Mm -hmm. and the sense of trust. Mm -hmm. In fact, if listeners are interested in finding out more about psychological safety, I just uh, did an interview uh, two weeks ago, January 15th, Mm. on uh, talking with uh, Dr. George Colreiser and about a couple of his books, Hostage at the Table and Care to Dare. So that's something that listeners can check out. So, um, and for me, um, there's a concept in improv, in the performance world, that um, I call it a breaking character. And I think you heard, your term for it is corpsing, right? That's the official. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so for listeners, this is when you've got, uh, you're doing a scene and well, no, it, it, Vicky, explain the thing about the, the corpse and where that. Sure. Comes from. So corpsing sounds really morbid. Um, <laughs> but it comes from um, what it describes is when someone, a char- when an actor out of character starts laughing at something on stage and it came from the origin of it was when there is like someone who is playing a dead body or someone has been killed and then something happens that's unexpected. And then you see the, the, this corpse, <laughs> this dead body lying on the stage laughing. So that's where the origin, you don't have to be playing a dead body for it to be called corpsing anymore. Um, but that's where this concept came from. And it is one of the ways in which people might break character. And I, I got to drill it into me, never break character under any circumstances whatsoever. And I remember I was in a theater performance. It wasn't improv. And I was at the um, Fringe Festival in Edinburgh. And I was playing a cave woman. And um, it was myself and another guy and then a guy in a gorilla suit. (laughs) (laughs) Naturally. Of course. And there's one scene where I'm standing right uh, in front of the, the guy who's the caveman. And I whip around really fast. I'm carrying this wooden uh, stick that practically grazes his nose. This one time I turned around so fast and so close to him. Nothing about him moved except his pupils that dilated with this, this look of, oh, God. <laughs> and, and I was so close to him that I could see his pupils dilate. Which And I found this hilarious, especially because I ended up not hitting him. That was the good news. Um, and I had, and I, I was so impressed by his ability to not break character and, you know, step out of the way. And I felt like I really owed it to him to stay in character as badly as I wanted to, you know, just lose it right then and there and start laughing. Though, um, 
There are times that I too have uh, corpsed myself. And I remember when I was a little kid, my father would watch the Carol Burnett show. Now, mm. in my family, um, my parents, uh, all the siblings, there's seven of us, and we're all, there's a sort of this fun competition of who can, you know, outwit the other person or be funnier. Mm. We're not sure where this came from because my parents, neither of them are particularly uh, humorous. Yet <laughs> my father, I wonder if it did in some ways come from our father because he definitely put a high value on humor in that he would watch the Carol Burnett show and there would be the scene between Harvey Corman and Tim Conway for people who are um, 50 plus and older, these names will mean something. Hmm. And um, inevitably Tim Conway would do something that would cause Harvey Corman to lose it. And he would start laughing and break character. And my father would be the only time I would see my father laughing hysterically. The joy he got from watching Harvey Corman break character um, was so satisfying to me as a little kid. I think I think that I I love watching really talented performers when they break character when they corpse as well. I think I think the reason it's so enjoyable is because what it shows you is that there isn't only this one level of the characters having a relationship or, you know, performing, but there's real humans inside, you know, the actors are there and they really like each other too. And I think the, when people are, you know, can't help but laugh at each other at the situation on stage, um, you know, of course there is this ideal of never breaking character, but I think as an audience member, you really appreciate the sort of peek behind the curtain and, and seeing, Oh, they're really friends. That makes me really happy because they're doing such a good job together. Um, I think so for maybe a slightly younger example than Tim Conway of, of breaking character. If people are familiar with Saturday night live, Jimmy Fallon is notorious for, for breaking character. And I enjoy it when he does, but it is true that it can be too much. Jimmy Fallon breaks character in like every other scene that he's in. And after a while, it, it's sort of like, okay, well, you know, get your act together. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it's I, a job, I, damn it. <laughs> but I, but I, I, but, but there is a sort of a softness to the frustration because you know that he's doing it because he's has, he's having such a great time. And I think, uh, again, connecting it through improv back to business, you know, I think both your improv group, Amy, and mine, uh, we all really get along and our friends outside as well. And we've had audience members tell us, you know, we love watching your shows and what's happening on stage, but we also love watching you guys watch each other and watching you guys enjoy the performance that you're putting on. And apparently there's a term for this. You you call it the, the inside game, I think. And uh-huh. And I call it, my term that I've learned for it is the second show. So there's uh-huh. a show that we're doing, and then there's the second show of watching the performers get along. And I think if you think about that in terms of a team, let's say one of those teams at Google that's really high performing, they have their their first show or you know their, their outside game, whatever they're achieving or whatever. But then there's the second show of them really getting along and supporting each other. And that makes that first show as good as it is. Yeah. Um, there is a philosophy I've heard about described uh, when describing improv. They say that when improv performers, they say they uh, do a performance and the audience loves them, except they didn't enjoy working together. Mm-hmm. That's actually considered a failure. 
Yeah. Whereas if they do a performance and they, the audience doesn't necessarily enjoy the performance, except they had a blast doing it together. They consider that a success because it means not that the end goal is, so what if we, we don't give the audience what they want? No, the idea is that when we enjoy working together, we're going to be committed to continue working together. And the more we work together, the higher the chances are of success in the future. Absolutely. I, I, I am happy to share. We have a, we have a sort of a, a mythical uh, experience of failure among the renegade saints that happened in the early years. Um, <laughs> we were really excited because we were invited by a really cool organization to come and, and, and perform at their holiday party. We were delighted. We were so excited. It was in a fancy hotel and we were going to come and perform and, uh, and, and we went out there and we gave it our best and it was crickets. The, the people were just at their holiday party. They didn't know who we were. They just wanted to be talking to each other. And, and, but I remember that feeling of like, we were exchanging glances. We're like, we're going for it. We're, this is happening together. I remember one of the people was sort of at the back of the room watching us being like, <laughs> um, and it was just and it's such a memorable experience of like just a toy it was definitely a failure but because we all committed to it together we didn't there was no finger pointing sort of we, the sip the ship sank together yeah. and we the you know the, the orchestra played out as it <laughs> happened and it was okay and you know we love talking about that experience not because we love reliving the failure but we learned a lot from it of course our ne- future christmas christmas appearances were less like that but we never turned on each other and in fact it strengthened our our, our relationship I love how you said that we never turned on each other and it strengthened our relationship. And I think that's one of the things that um, is so powerful that um, many clients who, when I work with them doing improv, what's really important is that willingness and ability to accept failure Mm. and um, not, I coach people to not avoid mistakes. I coach people to uh, embrace mistakes and recover from the mistake because that makes people much more flexible and agile. Um, Absolutely. I mean, if you don't, you, making a mistake is only bad if you don't learn the lesson from it. And I think what you're saying about being flexible about mistakes connects it to me to this concept of flexible leadership. So to me, there's two different ways of being a flexible leader. One is just being flexible in this way of accepting mistakes and as long as people learn from them. And then there's also the sort of more traditional sense of I am the leader, but I leave space for other people to take the lead sometimes. And I think that's another skill that happens naturally in improv and that we can teach uh, in, in our workshops. Mm-hmm. So do you have um, an exercise that or a game we can play that would demonstrate some of these things? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that it would be fun. Um, we have a, I don't even know what to call it. One word at a time story, let's call mm-hmm. it. Um, and, uh, but instead of a story, since we, you told the story earlier, let's write a letter together, maybe a, uh, a letter of complaint we can do okay, a letter of complaint. Okay. And what we'll do is we'll each say one word at a time. And if we want to end a sentence, so if you say a word that I think is the end of a sentence, I'll say full stop. And then I'll still say a word and same for you. If you think my last word was the end of a sentence that you can end it. And we can also um, end our own sentences if we think that. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. 
Um, and so, so let's, let's write a letter of complaint. Who do you want to complain to Amy? Um, I want to complain to the, um, uh, the, the people who control the weather. Okay. The weather controllers. Okay. Weather controllers. Um, and what would we call them? Um, the weather controllers. Okay. Um, great. Okay. <laughs> Sounds great. Uh, um, the WCs for short. <laughs> WCs. Okay. Um, dear W. See, <laughs> um, yesterday I was walking down to the river when it started pouring. Period. I had no umbrella with me. Period. Therefore, I would appreciate if you would notify the inhabitants of downpours that may include dogs and cats. Full stop. This service will be most appreciated because we need stability <laughs> period <laughs> um, most sincerely yours amy carol Yay! <laughs> so we're smiling, listeners. We, we had fun time writing that letter. Yes, it was a bit silly. I do have to say, it didn't turn into the letter that I would have written alone. For sure. Yeah, I wouldn't have definitely not talked about dogs and cats in my no, letter. No. no. Um, and I think sometimes the letter went off in a direction that wasn't what I expected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was um, surprise from my side too. Yeah. And I think, so one of the, so Amy and I created that together and I think we can talk about the leadership. You know, sometimes you gave a word that took us off in a direction. Sometimes I did, but equally important is both Amy and I sometimes said to or the, or a, those boring words, quote unquote, are just as important for the story to come together. And in a team where there's psychological safety, it's exciting to be the person who says dogs and cats, but you also don't feel bad saying to the or and because you know that that's just as important for the fabric of what you're creating. Yeah, because you're helping to make sense out of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, and I think uh, you know, so Amy and I have some experience with improv for us. It was, it was cool and exciting to do that exercise, but it's cool and exciting even if you've never done it before. It's a great one to try at home with your family or to challenge your favorite colleague to, can you guys write a story or write a letter together in that way? Yeah. Practice letting go of where you want the story to go. Practice just being okay and, and enjoying the delight and discovery together rather than feeling like it's a competition. And there's another exercise. We won't have time to demonstrate it, though. We can give this to listeners. I got this from Matt Weinstein. Ooh. The three 
sentence poem. So first person starts the sentence. The second person uh, gives the second sentence that rhymes with the first one. And the third person, no, and the, yeah, the third, it could be three people doing it or the second, the first person gives a title. So first sentence, second sentence rhyming with first sentence. Third is the title of the poem. I played that with um, some friends the other day who don't do improv normally. And they were just delighted by how well that worked. What I like about that one is that um, even the third person or the the title can change the meaning of the previous two. And you have just as much power over the outcome of the poem. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, Vicki, we're moving into wrapping up in a few minutes, and I want to ask you, do you have a call for action for the listeners? And it might be something related to the challenges of COVID and isolation and all the things that we're going through that uh, some concepts of improv that might help. I think, I think, um, I guess I would say, going with the this concept of don't be afraid of taking a risk just try being silly with someone that maybe you're not silly with or when you have call someone and I have these calls all the time all we talk about is what are the numbers in your city and mm-hmm. how are they you know what are the restrictions try playing a game instead it can be one of the games that Amy and I played or a game that you remember from your childhood I think that play is so important to help us connect and to remind ourselves of our humanity and to to allow us to just step outside and and, and let go and be present in the moment with this person that you love or that you care about. Mm, That's great. Thank you for that, Vicki. I would add, if my call for action is if listeners would like Uh, any of the exercises that we did, you want the guidelines for them or some other examples of great improv that you can do either face-to-face on a car trip over zoom uh, over the phone, feel free to reach out to me and let me know. And my second call to action is to send me your communication conundrums, clashes, challenges, mishaps, and blunders and your successes via email or through social media. And I'll read them and discuss them on future shows and make suggestions. My email is amy at carolcoaching.com. That's two R's and two L's. And feel free to connect with me on any of my social media channels, Amy Carol Coaching, or check out my website, which is full of free stuff, carolcoaching.com. You can connect with Vicki through the Renegade Saints website. That's renegadesaints.ch. And if you're game for more, I'm going to be hopping over to Facebook Live five minutes past the hour for a short chat on today's show. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to tune in next week. You'll be hearing from clients who shared concrete steps for building greater confidence. Vicki, thank you. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. And before I let you go, let's do a three-word poem. So first sentence from something that inspired you today. Uh, I love the light even under the clouds. And oh, how this makes me so proud. Title. Sparkles. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Okay, Vicki, thank you. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, listeners. And in the meantime, 
Between now and next week, happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central European Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good.